Your glory shines around. 
of what they've done but by virtue of what you've done because you are sovereign you are good you are God Lord, we thank you for this time and ask that you will bless the words that uh, Pastor Jim is going to be bringing to us today that it will first and foremost bring glory to you that it will point people to you, and that it will minister to our hearts. In your name, amen. Thank you, Joe and Rick and Dan for leading us into the presence of the Lord. And thank you, Jesus, for inhabiting our praises. He promises to do that whenever we come together. I'm glad to be here again this morning to be able to share the word with you. Thank you to all of you who are joining in. And um, we trust that you're staying safe and healthy. We look forward to seeing everyone again, hopefully next week. So bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we begin this morning, I'll have a introduction to the message. Uh, I'm recalling a popular television program from 15 years or so ago popular reality television program, which I think may be in a more current version today. It was a home show called Extreme Makeover. And the premise of the show, if you don't remember it or aren't familiar with it, 
Each week, a team of remodelers and designers and renovators would do an extreme makeover on the home of a family, and the family was recommended or had their names submitted by other family members or friends uh, for a renovation of their home. They may have had a particular need. It may have been a financial need that they were not able to do the renovations themselves or a, a physical need, a disability of family member uh, that required renovations. And so there was always a poignant story behind it. So the team would arrive at the home, surprise the family, send them on a vacation for seven days, and then that team of renovator, renovators and designers as well as dozens of volunteers would do an extreme makeover of the house in the course of that next week. So this morning I want to talk about an extreme makeover that's recorded for us in the scriptures. It comes in, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Uh, the message today is the second that I started last week about the life and the reign of King Hezekiah. The series is called A King Among Kings and that title comes from the passage of scripture that we looked at last week in 2 Kings chapter 18 where it said that among all of the kings of Judah Hezekiah was the best. There was none before him or after him who was like him because he trusted in the Lord. Last week we looked at that passage in 2 Kings 18 and talked about how Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, how he clung or held fast to the Lord and how he prospered in the Lord. Today we want to look at a way in which his faith and his trust in the, in the Lord was demonstrated, how it played out in his life. And that's where we uh, are going to be looking today, Hezekiah, or 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 3 to 19. It's a long passage of scripture. I'm going to read all of it, but save a couple of verses toward the end. But let's begin reading. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he, Hezekiah, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs." They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror and of astonishment and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. Then the Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Amasai, and the next few verses name all of the Levitical priests. We'll skip down to verse 15, where it says, They gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves and went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord, to cleanse the house of the Lord. The priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook Kidron. 
they began to consecrate on the first day of the first month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days, they consecrated the house of the Lord. And on the sixteenth day of the first month, they finished. Then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the table for the showbread and all its utensils. All the utensils that King Ahaz, who was Hezekiah's father, discarded in his reign when he was faithless. We have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. Father, we ask that you illuminate your word by your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding today and application for our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in this passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 3, that Hezekiah put first things first. It says that in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, the first month may have not been the first month of his reign, but probably the first month of the Jewish calendar. But nonetheless, this was a priority. He did first things first. He opened the doors of the temple. You remember last week, if you were with us, I read a couple of passages from the 28th chapter of Second Chronicles, which talks about Ahaz, Hezekiah's father. Hezekiah was the greatest among kings of, of the kings of Judah. Ahaz was among the worst, a wicked, evil king. I read a couple of passages which we won't read again today, but just to summarize, during Ahaz's reign, he made images for the Baals, the false gods. He sacrificed his sons to idols. He offered sacrifices to other false gods. He destroyed the vessels in the house of the Lord. He shut the doors of the temple. He stopped burning incense, and he put out the lamps in the temple of God. Hezekiah set out in the first year of his reign to reverse that curse of Ahaz. Hezekiah left no doubt as to what he deemed most important. He could have addressed the issue of Judah's safety because all around them were enemies. Assyria, Syria, Edom, the Philistines. And he may have been forgiven for saying, we need to address this first. We need to raise up an army. We need to do diplomacy to make sure that our borders are safe. But he didn't do that. Hezekiah realized that the greatest dangers lay not outside of Judah, but within. He realized that the greatest enemy that they had were the enemies of rebellion and apostasy and idolatry. So he opened what Ahaz had shut, and he fixed what Ahaz had destroyed. We could draw parallels for this passage for our own nation, or many of the nations of the earth. It seems sometimes that our greatest enemies are not outside of our borders, but within. The the greatest threat to our well-being as a nation is our own national sin on many levels for many decades. 2 Chronicles 7.14, 22 chapters ahead of the chapter that we're looking at today. A chapter from which that very last song that we sang comes. That song is based on the the time of the dedication of this very temple that we're speaking about today, the temple that Solomon built. And in that passage of Scripture, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, the oft-quoted verse, God says to Solomon that if there is a time when Israel is in rebellion, when he sends pestilence or he sends plagues upon Israel, that if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
Now, this is a passage of Scripture that speaks to the nation of Israel, but it's a principle that I believe applies to any nation. That each May, just a few weeks ago, we had the National Day of Prayer, and on that day of prayer, we're called as the people of God to pray for our nation and to pray and do what that very Scripture says, confess our own sins before the Lord, and and pray for our nation and pray for the national sin that beleaguers us. So there's a national application to this passage, but there's a spiritual, personal application to these verses too. Hezekiah opened the doors of the temple and he repaired them. Next week, as Jeff shared this morning, we will open the doors of this building once again. After 11 weeks of meeting just by means of electronic media, we will be able to gather down this hall in the sanctuary of Emmanuel. But this building that we're gathering in is not the temple of the Lord. It is often said and so true that the church is not the building. The church is the people. And thus the church is the temple of the living God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, speaks to that. He says that we corporately, as the body of Christ, are the temple of the living God in which the Holy Spirit dwells. But then he also says... Three chapters later, in the sixth chapter, in the 19th verse, that each of us individually, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, are the temple of the living God, where the Spirit of God dwells. The temple of Solomon was shut up, closed up by Ahaz's wickedness, by his sin. And each of us, our temple, individual temple, can be closed off because of sin also. Our own sin or sometimes offense and sin that is sinned against us. Your heart is the door to your temple. Not your physical heart, of course, but your spiritual one. The place where God resides, the the center of our spiritual being. And it can be damaged just like our physical heart. We can damage it through our own sin. We can damage it, or it can be damaged, by others and the things that they say and the offenses that that are done against us. And it can become hardened. It can become closed. Most of us have been isolated for the last two plus months, to some degree another or another, some more than others. Some of us have enjoyed a little more freedom. But some have been totally isolated. And so there have been very little human contact. Next week when we gather again, we'll have that contact again with safety measures taken, of course. But There have been some, perhaps, that you're listening today that have been isolated long before this pandemic started. You've been isolated because of your sin. Maybe sin no one else is aware of, but you're aware of it. And maybe you have felt shame. Well, there's a remedy for that. Maybe your heart has been wounded by someone else, by something that someone has done, and you're afraid to trust again. You're afraid to make yourself vulnerable. Then you're in need of a makeover. Maybe you've had unmet expectations and even been angry with God because of unanswered prayer or your life has not turned out the way you'd hoped it would. Let me say that God wants to deal with that. Hezekiah was indeed a king among kings, but there is a greater king, the king of kings, namely Jesus. And Jesus, who is here in our gathering each time we come together, whether it's in the sanctuary or 
in this format. He's in our midst. He is the great restorer. He wants to minister to any of you this morning who need the door of your temple opened or repaired. He wants to heal you in your heart if you'll let him. The difference is that while Hezekiah, the king, opened the doors to the temple of Solomon, you have to open the door to your temple. You have to let him in. In the book of Revelation, in the third chapter, in the 20th verse, Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea, and he says, If any man hears my voice, and he opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me. You have to open the door. Jesus is here today. He's right there in your living room or wherever you're watching, and he wants to heal. He wants to restore. We see also in our passage today that Hezekiah called together the priests. He calls them to consecrate themselves. He calls them to cleanse the temple. He calls them to remember the unfaithfulness of his father Ahaz and their fathers and others who went along with Ahaz's unfaithfulness. And he calls them to remember that their fathers turned their backs on God, both in a literal way and in a figurative way. The priests who ministered in the temple ministered with their face toward God in behalf of the people who were behind them. And what Hezekiah is saying is that those who ministered in the temple turned their backs to the Lord. They had no regard for him. He recalls to them the evil acts of his father, how they shut the temple doors, how they put out the lamps, how they stopped burning the incense, how they ceased to burn burnt offerings in the holy place. All of these things were a byproduct of the thing first mentioned, that they turned their backs on the Lord. And all these things brought the wrath of the Lord upon the nation. Hezekiah enumerates, he specifies the sins that were committed by his father and others. When we come to a place of opening the door of our hearts, specifying those things that God speaks to us that we need to confess is important. Confession is a necessary part of the makeover. Being specific in confession is important. You can find multiple occasions in the Bible where the people of God or leaders of God offered up a prayer to God on their behalf or on behalf of their people confessing specifically the sins of Israel. It's a pattern I think that we ought to follow. I think sometimes we're afraid to be specific in our confession to God about our sins. Perhaps we're ashamed of something we've done. It's as if we don't think that he knows already. Well, he knows. He's God. And when we come to Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're reconciled to God. We receive the gift of an eternal life. Positionally, we are positionally in Christ, and salvation is secured. But 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's some disagreement on this verse as to whether John was speaking to unbelievers when he said that. I believe that he was speaking to all of us. I believe that it applies to believers. 
I believe that ongoing confession is necessary to maintain our right fellowship with God and with one another. Hezekiah's heart, he says, is to make a covenant with the Lord. It's perhaps better understood as the renewal of the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel through Moses hundreds of years before. So Hezekiah calls the priests to action. He reminds them that they are chosen by God and and he reminds them of their responsibility as priests of the Lord. And in response to Hezekiah's exhortation, the priests move into the inner parts of the house of the Lord and begin to purge it. Because remember, Ahaz had destroyed much of the temple furnishings or he had uh, altered much of the temple furnishings, altering God's design. And he replaced them with an altar and furnishings of a pagan design. Once you open the door to the temple and you confess your sin before God, the story doesn't end there. Then the king of kings wants access to the innermost part. We see as the priests begin to cleanse the temple and purify it, that they move from the outer courts into the inner courts. God wants to claim that innermost part of us. He wants to repair it where it's been damaged, make it a place suitable for him to occupy or reoccupy. Maybe it's become cluttered with junk, phony substitutes for the things that God says should be there. So ask yourself this morning, uh, have you snuffed out the lampstand of God? in your temple by allowing things in your life that shouldn't be there? Sometimes we don't even realize it. Then one day we find that we're not holding his, her, holding his word in its high regard as we did before. And something else has replaced it. We find that our prayers have grown cold and we're not offering the sacrifice of praise and the incense of prayer as we once did. Hezekiah's word to the Levites and the priests was this. He says in verse 11, My sons, do not now be negligent. Negligent simply means not doing or taking proper care to do something that should be done or that we ought to do. And the opposite would be to be attentive and careful. And this is the word of the Lord for all of us to be attentive to his word and careful how we live. You may think you're okay this morning and that what I'm saying doesn't apply to you. And Some of us are in a different place than others, and I understand that. <clears throat> but to that I would say what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He warned believers, If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So if you're standing firm, guard your heart. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of our being. It's the place where God dwells. It's the center of our being. And if you've allowed your temple to fall into disrepair and permitted something in that shouldn't be there, then allow God's Spirit to do the work that we see the priests do in our passage. 
allow him to purge it. I see the work of the priest in this passage as something of a process, a picture of the process of sanctification. It's ongoing. We don't arrive at sinless perfection in this world. Sometimes our hearts get cluttered with junk and we need to allow the Lord, Lord to purge it. And sometimes that purging takes time. Look at verse 17 as it speaks about the work of the priests, the Levites and the priests. They began to consecrate on the first day of the first month and on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days, they consecrated the house of the Lord. And on the sixteenth day of the first month, they finished. It was a process. It took a while. So it is with us. We don't reach sinless perfection in this life. And sanctification is an ongoing process until we meet God in glory. So we're not above faltering and falling and stumbling at times. But God is there to pick us up, to set us aright. Forgiveness and cleansing are immediate, but sometimes the residual effects of sin and the influence of it don't immediately disappear. All of us as believers go through that process of sanctification. What we're talking about this morning is part of that process. I've been addressing mostly believers this morning, but... I want to say that if you've not come to a place of placing your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, if your heart has been closed, if the door to your temple has been hardened by this world, understand that His invitation is there for you to open your heart. Open your heart to Him. Receive the gift of eternal life that He secured through His death and His resurrection. As we begin to close, I'm going to ask Joel and the worship team to come forward again. And we're going to sing a song which speaks of that very thing, of the forgiveness that Jesus offers, the forgiveness that only He can bring through His blood. The Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus' sinless blood secured that forgiveness and the gift of eternal life for us. Joel?
nothing but the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from sin. And that blood enables us, as it says in that First John passage, to have fellowship with one another. Next week we'll have honest-to-goodness fellowship here in the sanctuary for the first time in 11 weeks. And I just want to close by reading a couple of other passages. After the cleansing of this temple, Hezekiah called the leaders of the city and the priests, the Levites, together again. And he began to restore worship in the temple. In chapter 29 and verses 29 and 30, it says this, When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves in worship. And Hezekiah, the king of the, and the officials, commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. And then they restore Passover, which had not been celebrated for some time. And in the verse in the chapter 30, in the 26th and 27th verses, it says, So there was great joy after the celebration of Passover. There was great joy in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. I Hope that in the course of this week, you'll examine your heart. If you need to get right with God, confess sin, allow restoration, and make a makeover to take place, do that. And come next Sunday as you're able to, and join us together, join with us together to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate uh, our fellowship with one another and with Him, and to worship the living God, just as they did following the cleansing of the temple. Amen. Now, receive this benediction. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a blessed week and hope to see you next Sunday.